0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, and then we're going to read the Gospel of Mark in chapter 12. Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living god. And then in Mark 12 it says Jesus answered them the most important commandment is this. Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him you are right teacher You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, it's always wise just to repeat what Jesus said back to him. And then he says, you've done well. Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more. Questions. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be among us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would hover over us. Father God, we pray that you would be our source this morning. Anoint this entire room that preaching may be easy and hearing your word would be a delight to the soul, Father God. And we just pray for every single house of worship in Beacon, Father God, that every honest pursuit of God would come into direct contact with your Son, Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen, amen. You may be seated. The title of today's message is What If We Actually Let Go? What If We Actually Let Go? Jesus says we have to love our neighbor as ourselves and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The church, the room that you're in, the people that you're a part of right now, the church is the only place where we can ever simultaneously learn in one event how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and how to love our neighbor as ourself. There is no other place in the world, no other institution, that can teach us to do that but the church. And the reason is, there is no human that has ever walked the face of this earth that was able to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love his neighbor as himself, than Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the only one who can do that, then the only way we can ever learn to do that is to be part of the body of Christ. So no matter how much you read on your own, no matter how much the Holy Spirit talks to you on your own, all of that is vitally important. We need to learn the art of hearing language of primary and secondary. Primary sets up for secondary. When you say primarily, you're not saying that the secondary is terrible. You're just saying that secondary only exists because primary things have to exist first for there to even be a secondary. If the person who came in first doesn't exist then the person who came in second came in first. <laughs> it's math. Primarily speaking, doing Christian stuff on our own apart from this room will edify But we will never become the body of Christ. It is when we come together as the church in the Eucharistic community, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the house of Almighty God, that we become the body of Christ. And in becoming the body of Christ, we then slowly learn, it's a very slow burn, but it's a we slowly learn to simultaneously love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To know that he is one. To be able to decipher him amongst all the other gods of culture and our mind and our conscience and everything else. And at the same time, love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus was not asked, what's the second greatest commandment? But Jesus offered it. Because Jesus was asked, what is the best commandment? What is the number one? And Jesus couldn't answer the number one without giving number two. Because Jesus knows us so well because he made us. He knows us so well, so Jesus knows. If I tell them only the greatest commandment, they will kid themselves into thinking they can do it well. Has anybody ever kidded yourself into thinking you were just an inchy bit better than you really are? (laughs) No hands. Everybody left. (laughs) So he says, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And probably everybody was like, oh, cool, I, I do that. So she's like, let me throw one more at you real fast. You didn't ask for this, but I'm the son of God, so I will just offer it anyway. That only looks true if you're loving your neighbor the way that you love yourself. Think of how we love ourselves, and imagine how good somebody would feel if we loved them that way. I give myself every benefit of the doubt. Every time I'm rude, I know why I was. It wasn't really rude. I was just having an off moment. Imagine we gave people the benefit of the doubt we give ourselves. Imagine we gave people the patience we give ourselves. Imagine we looked at people as much as we look at ourselves. Can you even imagine if... Okay. The only way we learn to do this is by being part of the church, and not the church like when, when we leave and we say, now go be the church. I'm talking about the church that gathers on Sunday in a room. I'm talking about that kind of church. Apart from being here, we will never learn to love our neighbor as ourselves because we won't be interacting with the one who did. Only Jesus loved his neighbor as himself. No one else can. It's only through the spirit of God working through the body of Christ that we can learn to do that. It's a train wreck when we come here and we're actually honest with ourselves. Because in the presence of Christ, who looks great? It's terrifying. And let me tell you, let me tell you, we are becoming increasingly more defensive as a people. Because we're under so much more attack. So much more critique. So much more judgment than ever before. It's unprecedented in human history that there's this much opinion flying all over the place. And so we're, we're slowly taking on the form of our culture, and we're having way too many opinions that we speak out loud, and we're also afraid of all the other opinions that are being spoken out loud. There are times where I catch myself, and I don't say, like, oh, my God, that was the opinion I had was bad. I'm actually more upset that I even had an opinion about that. It's not so much that it was a bad one. Why do I even have it? I won't tell you what those things are, but I have opinions about them. In Romans 12, he says, Paul says, present yourself as a living sacrifice, for this is your rational worship. Paul is saying it is rational to show up on a Sunday morning and present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is awful language for people who are buying into the idea that God exists to make who I am better. He doesn't exist to make who I am better. He exists to kill who I am and raise me up as an entirely new being in the earth. How many times, go through the Bible and look how many times Paul has to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He never has to say, you know, don't be ashamed of your kids. But he has to say constantly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he constantly have to say it? Because the gospel easily could be something that we would be ashamed of. Why? Let's just be real. Let's not be poetic with our text. Let's be real with it. Because our gospel is about a man who was pinned up on a piece of wood in between two criminals, and now we call it glorious. We will always amen the rhetoric of the cross, but we have a hard time amening the call to take up that cross and follow him on a daily basis because it means an invasion of my time. It means an invasion of my opinion. It means an invasion of my ethics. It means me constantly having to change. Pastor James Hassel, he pastors down in Yonkers, blew my mind the other day. He shows up on Thursday because I didn't have a lot going on on Thursday. Pastor, I'm in the area. Can we sit down for a little while? I will never say no to a man of God who wants to sit down with me because I need all the help I can get. So I'm like, yes, please, come over. I said, but I'm fasting, though, just so you know, we're not going to go out and eat. And he's like, I'm fasting, too. And I'm like, Damn. I was hoping he'd be like, no, God told me to take you out to lunch. I love that. And you're like, well, Lord, you know, where you lead me. And we talk for a while, and then he writes down, just a squiggly line that goes like this, up and down. And he says, this is the life of someone who changes all the time. And then he writes a straight line. And he said, this is the line of someone who's died. You ever see your heartbeat? Boop, 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 that's good. not so good. Have you ever heard that? Hopefully not for yourself. He said, resistance to change is flatlining. I said, you just spoke to the last probably five years of this church's history with that statement. Resistance to change is flatlining. But we don't like to change because once something works, we want to stick with it. We want to squeeze all the juice out of it as much as we possibly can. We want it just to stay that way. One more update on my iPhone. I'm throwing the thing in the garbage. I can't stand it anymore. I finally figure out how to use apps and stuff. And, like, the Weather Channel changed its app. How dare you? First of all, Jim Cantori. who do you think you are changing apps? I finally figured out how to use it just so perfectly, and then they change it again. But living things change. There's people behind those apps. They're alive. They're creative. They're working. And they're changing things. We have to be people who change, but to change, you have to take up your cross. To be transformed, what you are has to go away. To be renewed in the image of our creator, renewed means what we are has to change. We can't fight change and take up our cross at the same time. That's why Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he's preaching, don't be ashamed because we want to be ashamed of it because we don't want the cross to change us. We just want it to add to us. So we have to sow. We have to let go. We have to let go of our very heart. But the problem is language in the church has been impoverished when it comes to letting go. We've used the phrase letting go when we should have been using the phrase sowing. Because letting go means I rid myself of something. You never rid yourself of something. You sow it. So what is sowing? Sowing first is revision. Sowing is revisioning something. It's looking at what's in my hand, this seed that's in my hand, and saying, I see you as a seed, but I'm gonna revision you as a tree. But to get to the revision, I have to take you and let you go. But I'm not ridding it, I'm doing something intentional with it. But it can't stay in my hand if it's going to be the thing that it's created to be. We have to have we have to say the same thing to our heart. Heart, I know who you are when I'm in control of you. But who God wants you to be is so much more than what you are. So I'm sowing my heart into the gospel so God could make it more. But there has to be a letting go. What if we actually let go? Sowing is reposition. The thing in my hand, if it's a seed, must be given a new environment. It can't grow the way it's supposed to grow in my control. It has to go into darkness. It has to go into mud. Man, I can. This Jesus picks up mud and he does amazing things with mud. Puts it on people's eyes and heals their vision. Take your heart. I don't want it to go into darkness. Let go. I don't want it to go into mud. Let go. I don't want it to go down into something where I can't see it anymore, where I can't control it anymore, where I can't check on it anymore. I just have to sit here and wait. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's called patience. It's a fruit of the spirit because we don't have it we need it to grow. Heart, I can imagine more for you than you are in my hand. So now I'm going to put you into Christ. And it can be very dark. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, those who Christ calls, he bids, come and die. Who wants to sow their heart there? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's why Paul has to keep saying it, because the gospel is dangerous. It's dangerous to our ego. It's dangerous to our status quo. It's dangerous to the way we are now. People probably don't even like hearing this message that I'm preaching right now because it's upsetting the apple cart a little bit. Good. I don't want to upset the apple cart. I want that thing to hit a brick wall and all the apples to fall out of it. (laughs) Sowing is revision. Sowing is reposition. Sowing is reaction. Reaction. A new kind of action. When I sow a seed, I no longer can act on it. I'm just standing. But then you see that little blade start to pop out and you're like, everybody, look, 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 look. Get more water. Get more water. Look at this thing. Nobody go near. Let's build a fence around it so the deer don't come and eat it. We have to take care of it. We react to what God does. See, like right now, before we put our heart in the ground, all we do is we, we react to our own emotional impulses. But when your heart is sown, you're left with no action until God acts first. That's why our action to God is a reaction. He is the divine action, and we are a reaction. That's what an image is. When I look in a mirror, all my image can do is react. It can't act. It would be spooky, haunted movie if it did. If I'm standing there looking at myself in the mirror, and then my mirror self scratches its head, but I didn't, we need to call a priest, like ASAP, figure this out. We need to sit down and get the elders or something. Also, the other way, if I scratch my head and the image in the mirror doesn't, also haunted, a little demonic. But I wonder if that's what God sees all the time. I wonder if God is looking at himself in a mirror, seeing us, and he heals somebody, but we refuse to touch that person. I wonder if God, maybe more poetically, reaches down because his leg hurts. You say, well, why would God's leg hurt? Because the body of Christ is persecuted every day. And God goes to rub his leg, and we just stand like this in the mirror. And we don't move when he moves. We're our own action. We refuse to be a reaction. We have to let go. We have to let go. Our heart has to get put into a new environment. Jesus is the high priest. We read it, and it says that he entered a tabernacle that is not made with hands. Again, when you read that, all we want to do is think theologically about it. There was a tabernacle in Exodus that was made, and that was made with hands. And then there's this new tabernacle, heaven. Don't ask me too much about it, we say, because I don't really know how to explain it. it just is. And we say all this kind of stuff. But let's get mystical with it for a second. What is this saying about Jesus? Jesus doesn't enter things that we could make. He enters things that we can't control. He didn't enter the tabernacle made with hands. That's something we could do. He doesn't enter the part of me that I can make look good for you. He doesn't touch that part. This part of me. If somebody is not saved and the next day they get saved, there's a good chance, physically speaking, they look exactly the same. This is why everybody was afraid of Paul. Go see Paul. No, he just killed a whole bunch of people he got saved. I don't care. I'm not going to go see him because the person looks exactly the same because God doesn't change this. He changes what's behind my chest plate. He changes and enters the part of me that I can't fix and airbrush and prop up and put a nice filter on and then put it on the internet. He enters the part of me that I don't have any control over. He knows the part of me I do have control over is just rotting away anyway. Is getting older as time goes on. And we spend so much time trying to beautify what's getting old, and we spend hardly any time trying to pay attention to what's true of us that Jesus is constantly trying to beautify. Okay. No, I'm not letting you off the hook for that. Maybe you're not responding because you're taking notes. I'm perfectly fine with it. But here's what I am going to say there's a reason why Jesus looked at his church and said, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So I'm not really too into applause and all that kind of stuff. We joke around. But here's what my worry is. My worry is this, that you're here waiting to hear something you agree with. That's my concern right now. That you're hoping I'm funny today that you're hoping I make jokes, that you laugh and have a really good time. And please understand, it's me. I love to do that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, for a church to be a church, it has to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to it. Otherwise, this is just a TED Talk. That's all it is. If you're resistant to change while the pastor is preaching, you're just listening to a TED Talk somebody's heart has to be on the line. If you're having a heart attack, you can't fix yourself. You need someone to knock you out, crack your chest open, and fix it. I trust that those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying is, this is a dangerous message, but it's good. If you don't, you're probably saying, 1107. Jesus enters the part of us we can't control. That's why sometimes we don't want him there. We want to make the part of us that other people can see the part of us that Jesus shows up in. The part of us that's going to take a long time to show up, we don't want Jesus to show up in that because it takes too long. He offers himself as a sacrifice. This is maybe the most complicated thing in human history. Jesus that is God offers himself to God. Somebody like to explain this for everybody? There's a lot of ways to look at it, and every single one of the ways the Bible talks about it is an accurate way to look at it. So on the one hand, Jesus is offering God something. On the other hand, Jesus is God offering us something. Please see it both ways. On the cross, Jesus is offering God something we can't offer him, but also Jesus on the cross is God giving us something we could never receive from anyone else. It's both, and it's a whole bunch of other things as well. The Bible is not filled with theories. It's filled with stories. Listen to all of them for it to be the truth. Sacrifice, however, is not given to appease God. Please understand this. Sacrifice is given in the Bible not to appease God, but to acknowledge that we know that God owns everything. So when you sin, you treat somebody like you own them and God doesn't own them. When you look at something you shouldn't look at, you treat your body like you own it and not God. When you say something to somebody you shouldn't say, you're acting like your words are your words to do what you want with, and they don't belong to God. Like we said last week, we really fight to be good stewards with our money, but we are terrible stewards of our breath. How many know your life is short? What are we doing with the breath we have left? Complaining, gossiping, judging praising and thanking but every time we sin we take some part of creation and we act like it belongs to us and not God this is why the Bible in the Old Testament says every time you sin you need to take something and offer it to God it's our way of saying Lord I took something from you so now I'm going to give you something I have as a way of me reconciling to you that I know you own everything Now, obviously, we don't do that anymore because Jesus shows up, and Jesus does something amazing. Jesus offers to God himself, but himself is God. So two things are happening when Jesus is offering himself. Number one, Jesus is showing us that he belongs to God. But here's what else Jesus is doing. On the cross, Jesus has assumed our humanity. He has taken our self and put it on himself. And on the cross, he offers ourself to God in a way that we would never be able to offer ourselves to God. Jesus is me giving himself to God in a way that I never would be able to. That's the beauty of the incarnation and the death of Christ is that he becomes me and gives to God the part of me that I would never be able to give to God. And while I'm on a rant, just for fun, this is why the book of Hebrews connects tithing to Jesus. (gasps) Literally, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice. And here's what he says. These you ought to keep doing. You ought to keep tithing, but also show mercy and justice. But Jesus affirms the tithe because Jesus knows the minute we stop giving to God what belongs to him, we will begin to think everything belongs to us. And it's part of the reason why we'll show up late to church every single day. Let's just have a conversation, no? Only I'll talk and everybody listen. When we start to treat time and breath and money like it belongs to us, this is what idolatry is. We give God a percentage of our week. It's called Sunday. We don't give it to him three times a month or two times a month. We fight for it. We pray for it. We say with David, I long for the courts of the Lord. It's the one place I have to get this week. That's what we do. Because in the courts of the Lord, we become something unimaginable. We become the body of Jesus himself. We beg God all week long to deny himself. Forgive me show up for me, even though I didn't show up for you. Even though I was terrible at my finances, please help me fix them. Even though I was unfaithful in my relationship, please put it back together. Even though I sinned as a parent, please heal my child. And he does. Because doing something for other people isn't self-denial to Jesus. It is who he is. It's him being his self. When Jesus gets down to wash our feet... In the gospel, he's not denying himself. He's being himself. This is who he is. He denies himself when he dies because death is not part of God. But he's not denying himself when he serves because serving is who God is. It is God. We have no idea just how amazing Sunday morning is. Because in the song, I'm gonna butcher all the lyrics, so please go ahead and make fun of me like y'all always do, because the worship team doesn't walk in backwards to cover people's sins. They just make fun of the pastor for not knowing his songs. But I believe it was somewhere in the song, He Made Away or Make Away or. One of them. You know, He Made Away? He Made Away? Okay. And I'm standing here only. Too many of us don't have an only. I'm standing here because Jesus did stuff and some other people helped me out. I'm standing here because Jesus did some stuff, but I worked really hard. We are not stewarding our lives if we don't have an only. And if you have an only, then you will be here. If you have an only, then little daycations won't keep you from being here. If this really is an only, then it will matter to you. I can tell you as your pastor, I'm standing here only because he made a way. And if you know me, you know I'm not lying. It is 100% the truth. There are five characters in the Bible I want to run through really fast that show us who we are on our best day and show us what we can't do on our best day. If you were here on time, you heard the lectionary reading for today that was read beautifully by Courtney. Courtney. It was a long... She read half the Bible this morning. <laughs> she read chapter one of the book of Ruth. And Naomi has two daughters, Orpa and Ruth, daughters-in-law. Tragedy hits the family. And Naomi says, listen, I got to go to where I have to go. But Naomi essentially... Oh man, Naomi says, you both can leave. You both can go. And Ruth stays... And Orpah leaves. Now, here's the thing. We have to repent on how we've treated Orpa. She went. And if Naomi never said go home, the story indicates that she never would have left. So she was following Naomi. And then when Naomi tells her to leave, she refuses. Kind of like one of those moments where you're out to eat and somebody's like, I'll pay for this. And you're like, no, 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 I'll do it. And then they're like, no, I'll do it. And you're like, cool. <laughs> like, you did that one obligatory, I'll do it. And then they said it again. Like, if, if you're the first one to say it, you're going to end up paying because you're going to be the second one to say it. So I say, I'm going to pay for it, Dan. And you say, no, I will. And I say, no, I will. And then you say, okay. And I'm like, ah. That's what happens. That's what happens. Orpah weeps when she follows and she weeps when she leaves. We always preach that we need to be Ruth, and here's the reality. We will never be Ruth. Jesus is the only one who can be Ruth. All we will ever be is Orpah, and here's what I want to tell you. She's the first person I want to talk about. Orpah represents the person who can't let go of security and predictability, but here's the thing. She's not wrong. She's just less good than Ruth. This is called mature language. We live in a world... I'm going to, again, I'm going to dip in the pool for a second. We live in a world where if we vote for somebody, and they, that, then we can never critique them because that means it's rejection. Or if you say one positive thing about a candidate, then you're all the bad things about that candidate. Everything is all or nothing. We have no ability to hold something in support and be able to critique it at the same time. We are impoverished in that area. We have to be able to say, I'm standing with you, but I also have this against you. Every good relationship, I've said this before, have you met the people who say we never fight? (laughs) Either you're lying or there's no maturity in this relationship. Because when you're really in a relationship, you can say, I'm always with you, but I have this against you. But because you know I'm always with you, we can have a conversation about what I have against you. It's maturity. It's called being robust in our language. Orpah did her best. She's not bad. She's just less good than Ruth. And if you don't apply it to Jesus, that can be offensive. But if Jesus is Ruth, let me tell you, all day long, we're good, but we're less good than Jesus. She fights to stay. But eventually, at her best, security and predictability take her from Naomi. At our best, without the transforming work of Christ, we will never stay in an environment that is not predictable and not secure. We will leave it. Eventually, we will. We'll be able to be uncomfortable for a little, but eventually we'll leave it. Only the work of the Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ can give us the grace to let go of that security and that predictability Everybody know Lot in the Bible from Genesis? Everybody wishes they had a Lot, but just talking about that a little differently than his name. (laughs) Lot gets blessed because of Abraham. Lot and Abraham leave to go obey God. They each have a ton of stuff. And at some point, Abraham comes to Lot and says, Lot, the land isn't big enough for all my stuff and your stuff. So Abraham says, Lot, why don't you go one way and I'll go the other? And Lot's like, cool. I will go. Now, in hindsight, we know what Lot should have said. Lot should have said, I'm only blessed because of you, dude. You're the only reason why I have anything. So I'll gladly let go of all my stuff and stick with you because you're the reason why I have the stuff in the first place. But that's not. That's what we should say, but that's not what any of us say. Jesus is like, hey, I've really blessed you. And I'm like, yeah, you have. And Jesus is like, well, all of your stuff and my stuff, it can't coexist. So why don't we split up? And I'm like, all right, Jesus, bye. That's the best we can do. Lot followed. Lot left his family. Lot left everybody. He's not bad. He's just less good than Abraham. Because Abraham is Jesus in the story. Lot is the best we can do apart from the work of Christ. With Lot, eventually, we won't be able to let go of comfort and culture. Notice Lot needed to be rescued from the culture that he was in. He was, it was told to Lot, leave, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's like, no. And then they come and take him out. And then Lot starts making demands about where to go. But they needed to rescue Lot. Rescue implies if you didn't show up, I would never have left because I've become part of the culture you put me in. You're all going to get mad at me now. But when the church becomes our first option after our other priorities are exhausted, we have failed miserably. When, the, when we fall, fall for the delusion that, you know what, the church, it's the first place I go as long as my kids don't have sports. It's the first place I go as long as I'm not tired. It's the first place I go as long as I'm not going on a spur vacation. And you're going to sit there and say, oh, you're knocking all of those things. Please, let's be mature. You know I'm not knocking all of those things, but I am knocking the overemphasizing of them for sure. Yes, I'm knocking them. I'm punting them out of here. I was talking to Anthony about this in the office beforehand. Here's what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say, and I know what you're going to say to what I'm going to say. I'm going to say all of those decisions need to be made in the Holy Spirit, and everybody's going to say amen. But almost all of us will not do that. We'll be happy when the preacher says, miss, miss church for sports if the Holy Spirit's calling you to. Oh, thank God. He is. <laughs> when he calls you, he bids you come and die. I didn't play sports on Sundays. And not just church. If there was something for me to do on a Sunday, it had to come after church and then after the lingering effect of church. See, when I grew up, church didn't have an end time. It started... All the other stuff came after that dot, dot, dot. If there was time, if it was still light outside, even in the summer. if it's not hurting you to get here. You're not getting here for the right reasons. There is no difference between secularism and generic religion. Secularism is life not connected to the church. That's what secularism is. When we talk about people who are secular, we're talking about people who are not connected to a church. But generic religion is being connected to the church but having absolutely no life in it whatsoever. So here's what I'm going to say. A dead person in the church is the same as a lively person who doesn't have a church. One, the the person that doesn't have a church, is Lazarus in the tomb dead. The person who's involved in generic religion is Lazarus called out of the tomb, but no one's loosing him and letting him go. So he's standing there with the grave clothes on. See, Jesus calls him out of the tomb, but then he says, loose that man and... Oh, come on, man. Have we really stopped reading our Bible that much? Loose that man and let him go. Some of us are out of the tomb, but we're still in the grave clothes of our obsession with culture. And we can't move in our new life. As long as everything else isn't going on, then I'll be here. I see you at the door. I know when we make announcements to sign up for the men's ministry, and you're the first one out the door, and I know nobody could have signed up that fast. But here's the thing. It's really not funny. If this is your last Sunday, I just want you to know it was a pleasure being your pastor, and I really, I've appreciated it so much. If it's just me and Jacqueline and a few elders next Sunday... I'll, I'll preach. You'll preach. You'll preach to me. Yikes. Nobody leave. <laughs> Two Sundays a month? Three Sundays a month? Pastor, you're just up there trying to have attendance. Look around. No, I'm not. If we wanted to have more attendance, we could do things differently here. We could preach much shorter messages, tell everybody how amazing you always are, I could take this off. I could take colors off that cross. More people would be here. But that's not what God called us to. And I will never preach to attendants. I'm pastoring. I'm pastoring. We have to start showing up better. We do. We have to start showing up better. King Saul... King Saul, stop knocking King Saul. He's the best we can do. What took the kingdom from him, short version, is he did what every other person of faith did before him, except it was wrong the one time Saul did it. Everyone won won a war and then sacrificed some of what they won. Samuel says to Saul, get rid of everything. Don't leave anything. And Saul, Samuel doesn't show up. And Saul makes some sacrifices. And then Samuel shows up and says, You shouldn't have done that. God has taken the kingdom from you. If God took the kingdom from us that fast, this would have been my career as a pastor. Hello? <laughs> Gone. Did something wrong, guarantee you. Two minutes in, Pastor Mark would have been like, Salem, here's your new pastor. Salem, we need to find a new pastor. That fast. David comes along, sleeps with everybody, kills everybody, freaks out on everybody, murders everybody. And God's like, there's a man after my own heart. Saul does one thing wrong that's really kind of right. And God is like, take the kingdom from him forever. And it's not meant to teach us how to not be Saul. It's meant to show us that we always will be. The best we can do is being good but less good than Jesus. Saul is the person who can't let go of his assumptions about how something's meant to be done. When you can't pray, when you can't listen to a full sermon without thinking of what you would want to hear differently, it's not your fault. It's the best you can do. We all do it. I do it while I'm preaching. My brain is going 10 billion miles an hour right now wondering if I should have said the thing I said five minutes ago. We can't get out of our own assumptions. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ that I can truly listen to my neighbor and not make assumptions, truly have a pastor in my life and not make assumptions, truly be part of the church and not make assumptions. It's only through the work of Jesus that that can happen. And if I'm not here fighting to be here, sacrificing as much as I can to be here, if I'm not doing that, then I am going to live in the world of assumptions and hurt people without realizing it. Nope, this is how it's supposed to be done. But God said not to do it that way. But it's always been done this way. We will fall into that pit every time without the work of the Spirit in our life that comes not from your morning devotional but from the experience you're having right now. By all foolish mediums, God has chosen the art of preaching that men might be saved. Do you want to know what I do when I preach? I write every sermon to prepare the bride to come and sit with her husband at his table. Every word that I write is meant to prepare all of us, including myself, to come and sit with our husband at his table. Without that experience, we're not bride. We have to get to the table, but we have to be prepared to get to the table. I have had two, and I have one more wedding to come in, like, the last four weeks, three weddings. And every one of the weddings has the same rhythm, preparation and then wedding day, preparation and wedding day. There's preparation before there's wedding. On the relational level, there's dating. On the actual event, there's preparation for the ceremony, preparation for the reception. Who do we invite? Who do we not invite? How much do we spend? How much don't we spend? Is my makeup good? Is it not good? Did I get my hair done right? Did I not get? What shoes am I wearing? Heels the whole time, but I need to wear flats because I'm going to be so uncomfortable. There's preparation first. That's what we're doing right now. We're preparing for a ceremony that we're about to have where we walk down an aisle and meet our husband. The rich young ruler. He can't let go of his hard-earned wealth. We will follow, we'll do everything right, but there will be a point where we just can't walk away from what we worked hard to get. Whatever it is, not just money, mostly money, but not just money. Whatever I feel I've earned is the last thing I'll give up. Whatever I've worked hard for is the last thing I'll give up. I worked hard to get ready to become a pastor. And then I was asked to make tea for a very long time. If and I did wrestle with this, I've worked too hard to do that. And God just kept his hand around my neck. So much so that now I will forever wear this collar when I preach to remind myself that God's hand is still around my neck. You all should be walking around feeling this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. There is nothing that you earned. Everything that you used to work hard was given to you by God. This is you. This isn't me. This is you. I wear this not because I am this and you're not. I wear this to show us all what we are. We are all collared up, we are all bought by God. Somebody cut me off the other day, and I literally, and like I said, my window, I was getting ready to roll her down, <laughs> and I realized I cannot. I cannot. And it dawned on me we all need to feel like we're wearing a collar. Because it restrained me that day. It restrained me. Just a sidebar. Son, you can follow me if you go sell what you have. And sorrowfully, he walked away. You can have me. Just get rid of the stuff. We will always say no to that. We will always walk away if it's not for the saving, redemptive work of the Holy Spirit that comes through this building, that meal, this preaching, that worship service. We need these things. These are what the church calls the means of grace. We need them. We need them. This is how we touch Jesus. We cannot say during the week, I'm just going to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Touch the person next to you right now. Right now, touch the person next to you. That is the hem of his garment. The person next to you is the hem of his garment. This is the body of Christ. You just touch the body of Christ while you're in this room and the Holy Spirit's here. We become the body of Christ. This is how I push through the crowd. I don't push through a crowd to get here. I push through my calendar. I push through culture. I push through vacations. I push through to do lists. That's what gets me here. That's what I have to push through. There's people in other countries who do have to push through a crowd, and their preachers will preach to that. We don't. We have to push through blessings to get here. And finally, Saul of Tarsus. Everything he did when he was persecuting the Christians. Hear what I'm saying. Everything he did when he was persecuting the Christians was 100% right. Right? His Bible said, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And he's looking at a whole bunch of his people worshiping somebody who was hung on a tree. And he was saying, our Bible says, cursed is someone who hangs on a tree. So every one of you worshiping the man who was pinned up on a tree, you need to stop. And if you're getting other people to do it, I'm coming after you. We will always, with righteous indignation, we will always get stuck pursuing God the way we were first taught to pursue him. We will always get stuck pursuing God the way we were first taught to pursue him. If your first entry into Christianity was into the Catholic Church, you will freak out if somebody plays a drum. If somebody doesn't walk the gospel down the center aisle, you'll say, we treat this book like it's every other book. I'm leaving. If you were raised and formed in a Pentecostal evangelical church and somebody tries to walk the gospel down and read right now, said, "Uh, Bill, before you preach, Pastor, I need to walk this gospel down to you, there would be an exodus like somebody would need to be Moses out there. We will always be stuck Pursuing God the way we were first taught and always miss the call where Jesus says, can you pursue me a different way now at this point in your life? No, that's wrong. No, it's not. It's just different. And we can't be resistant to change because then we're not growing. We're stunted. There is, wow, good. Saul is where I close because he got knocked off his horse. He got his name changed. He got blinded. He needed to submit to somebody else. His life was changed, and Jesus reinterpreted himself into the text for him. And he realized, oh my gosh, I wasn't wrong then, but I would be now if I continue to do the same thing. That was my life, and I was being holy up to that point. But the minute Jesus reinterpreted it, if I keep going the way that I've always known, it will be wrong. We have to change. Culture's changing out there. People are changing out there. The church can't just be the same. It has to change. We have to be rooted in something ancient but able to move into something new at the same time. That's what we're called to be. We're called to honor our past. We all want to look up our family tree. We want to see where we've come from. But many of us won't want to live the life our ancestors live. We'll want to live a better life for them. That's what we should be doing with church history, saying, great what you did. I want to be connected to it, but you also weren't pastoring today. So we need to be a church for today, anchored in yesterday, so that we can be the church for tomorrow. I'm going to say that again, if that's okay. We need to honor the church of yesterday, so that we can be the church of today for tomorrow. The advertisement, Ian. Starting December 3rd, we're going to be having 20 midweek Bible studies that are communion services. The first half of these services are going to be pretty regimented. We're going to come in, we're going to sing a song, we're going to pray some prayers together, we're going to come to the Lord's table. The rest of the service is going to be a dot, dot, dot. Don't ask me what time it ends. I don't want to hear that question. I'll tell you when it starts, but I'm not telling you when it ends. And no one has to stay till the end. No one's obligated to. But we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Salem Tabernacle. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Salem Tabernacle. We need an outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit at Salem Tabernacle. And our kids need to know that they're called to more than just sitting downstairs at Salem Tabernacle. There are preachers down there, pastors down there, evangelists down there, missionaries down there, peacemakers down there, and here. God did not stop calling people into the ministry. We stopped hearing him. Some of you are called to pastor. Some of you are called on the missions field. Some of you are evangelists. Some of you are peacemakers. Some of you are administrative. Some of you have the gift of healing. Some of you have words of knowledge. And we just don't know. We need to recover it. But in order to do it, we have to let go. And what if we actually did let go of our opinion? What if we did let go of our calendar? What if we actually got radical? What if we actually let go? What if God actually poured himself out on us? What if we actually walked as a river of life mingled with fire in this community? What if you actually prayed for somebody and they were healed? What if you actually led somebody to the Lord? What if when you prayed, fire fell in the place where you were praying? What if your kids said, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry for the way that I lived, and not only that, I'm called to follow Jesus and preach him and teach him and all these other things? Don't just clap, though. It's got to cost us something. We can't just be Lot. We can't just be King Saul. We can't just be Orpah. We can't just be the rich young ruler. We have to take it one step farther than them. And the only way to bridge that gap is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the power of Jesus himself. Want to know how good Jesus is? I'm going to tell you. Orpah kisses Naomi. And then says, I'm kissing you. And then I'm leaving. Who's somebody that we know that kissed somebody before they left him? Watch this Orpah kisses Naomi and leaves. Thousands of years later, Judas kisses Jesus. And then Jesus says something to him Ruth, her name means friend. Judas kisses Jesus like Orpah, and Jesus says, friend, why have you betrayed me? Judas is being Orpah, and Jesus calls him Ruth. At your worst, he sees not just your best, but he sees your best that you could never even possibly imagine for yourself. He redeems you with his love. I can hear the questions. Pastor, I hear you, but how do we let go? You step into his love. And it takes effort to do that. You have to fight to get there. His love is so vast and so different, but there's a part of his love that is only experienced in this room when the body gathers. At all of the events we have, They're here to give us varying opportunities to touch the hem of the garment, to hear him call us friend when we're acting like Judas. His love is the only reality that transforms, and you can only be around it when you're part of the body of Christ. He's worth more than two Sundays a month. He's worth more than getting here 45 minutes late. He's worth this place being filled with prayer by 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday. He's worth a parking lot that's full because people change when they walk into this room. He's worth more than just laughing and singing our favorite songs. He's worth being at this altar, pouring our heart out for him. And if you say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 75 years, I've been a Christian for 50 years, that is really not that long, I'm here to tell you. In the grand scope of history, it is but a blimp on the radar. It's nothing. Stop kidding yourself. You haven't been doing it for all that long if you've been doing it your whole life. It hasn't been all that long. If a thousand days here, a thousand years here is like one day there, the time frame is just not that much. Keep doing it until there's no more breath. As long as I am breathing, I'll worship you. Let's pray.